Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. The Chinaman is not the issue here, dude. I'm talking about drawing a line in the sand, dude. Across this line, you do not. Also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. <laughs> The great has spoken! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man! I'm a very good man! Good man! They think deep thoughts, and with no more brains than you have. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, what makes a man? <laughs> uh, definitely a penis. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, that's the reference, so you're close. This was actually an instance of my, me just trolling the listeners. Um, what makes a man? I am of the firm opinion that uh, it's whatever we want it to be. Manliness can change over time. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's like uh, I'm a fe- if I'm feminine, I'm still a man. I don't understand. I don't. I, I really may- maybe this maybe this is why uh, in the discussion of of Lebowski and and masculinity, I just I don't really understand what it is even to be a man. It's not that I believe it's all hundred percent socially constructed, but so much of masculinity is, except for the like of color blue i think that's my final definition liking the color blue is what makes you a man. that was awesome like i have not i did not expect that question to elicit so much discomfort you made me very very <laughs> reflective very ref- I'm oh just, my God. i think i'm just not much of a man what how what am i gonna say here and not get in trouble <laughs> not get shit on oh wow so um it might not get better than that this episode. <laughs> uh, it's definitely, def- definitely, definitely, we should do a whole episode with just me uncomfortably talking about what it means to be a man, and then we can follow that with what it means to be black. How about that? Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> anyway, so today we're gonna talk about the Big Lebowski, which we have recorded already. Um, We've already got an email about the pronunciation of Lebowski throughout the film, I believe, and perhaps throughout the episode. Yeah, I don't think that's right, but um, <laughs> I, do, I do not I think know. that's correct. Uh, <laughs> but in the first segment, we're going to talk about the topic of trolling and what that is, what that means. Um, I was listening to my favorite Twin Peaks podcast, Diane, again. I was listening to one of their old episodes uh, where they were doing listener feedback, and someone asked whether Lynch and Frost were trolling Twin Peaks fans, even a little, you know, at some points in the third season. If you haven't seen it, which you haven't, that won't make sense, but it does make sense. It makes sense as a question. 
And so that made me think about just trolling in general, because they talked about, well, what does that even mean? Um, what counts as a troll? What are the conditions, necessary and sufficient conditions for a troll? <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, we certainly have possibly at least been on the receiving end of some trolling because of the podcast. So I want to just talk about that. Like, is it different? Are the conditions different if you're talking about Twitter or Reddit or YouTube or like works of art? Can works of art even, is that even possible for a work of art to troll their audience? Or is it just, that? does that just provocative art? Right, um, right. So what are your thoughts? I mean, I have one real, uh, you know, if, if forced to come up with uh, a definition. So a troll is somebody who intentionally is posting something to uh, to upset other people, right? To elicit whatever negative emotions are are getting a, them like, riled up, flaming, riling them up. And I think that to count as a troll, it has to be insincere. I have like that you, too. you ha right? You have to be posting something knowing that your only your only reason is to inflame people because there are plenty of people who inflame people who who are doing so sincerely and that that's I wouldn't count that as trolling. That's right. So I, you know, I for me trolling is a really interesting kind of activity because what it's doing is it's it's preying on the weakness of people to have to respond whenever they disagree with something and unreflectively responding as if the comment was sincere, right? Yeah. It's playing on people's lack of ability to sense irony in, in the troll. Or just playing on their just getting so, like if you've done your job as a troll, at least as how they conceive of it, it, it doesn't even have to be that they don't have a good sense of irony. It just has to be that you hit a nerve that they it, they just get so enraged that they have to respond <laughs> without even thinking about whether this is a troll or not. So so here's a question then: if you um, if you see a comment and it really pisses you off and you want to respond, and somebody says. Uh, don't worry, that's just a troll. And you're convinced that they are actually insincerely posting it just for your reaction. Does does it remove? Doesn't it remove your anger, ire? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a separate sort of question about why people troll. What's the psychology behind wanting to do that? At the same time, I know I do it with my family all the time. Like, I feel like you do it with me on. On this episode, <laughs> on this podcast all the time. I'm like, you can't really believe this. <laughs> no, but like, I, I do love getting a reaction. And <laughs> sometimes I will do it. And, and it's just for the pure fun of getting a reaction and then having the person realize, oh, I fell for it. I do. But it matters to me that the person knows me and that they will eventually know that I was just trying to get a rise out right. of them. Not right. what I don't fully get and what I never I don't I can't, I I've definitely never done it and I don't have any desire to do it is just troll somebody I don't know and then like have them think, "Oh, I was I that was I was just being a dick." I mean, there's part of part of what being a troll is is usually some degree of anonymity. So, it's Whatever credit they're getting as being a troll is not to them personally, because I think that 
I feel like there is a way in which the anonymity allows you to be a really, I don't think it's necessary because, right, it could very well be that Lynch is trolling. Well, I don't know. Well, like I want to, but let's set that aside. As to what they get from it, like it's, you know, it's like, you know, some men just want to watch the world burn kind of thing. I feel like that you get this satisfaction of the fact that you were like, it's almost like releasing a virus out into the world with no, you know, where there's no purpose in terms of like monetary gain or attention. You just want to see shit go downhill i mean like, that's literally that's literally if you talk about viruses in the metaphorical sense so maybe not literally right but the russian bots in the 2016 election were for the express purpose of doing that you know just seeing the american election burn yeah right yeah um well one could argue that it was with the very specific purpose of getting trump elected but i, I don't I actually don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 but I mean, like the way that even if that was it, that they were that they were trying to do it was just by getting everyone so angry, angry and outraged on both sides that it might lead to that result. Yeah, and it's actually scary. I mean, it's really it is a vulnerability. It's an exploit in the human brain, right? We've talked a ton about outrage, but like to yeah. to insincerely promote outrage through bot accounts is the the ultimate the ultimate <laughs> and- in trolling. And yeah, at that point, like, I think you're right. It's almost not trolling then. Yeah. Because it's for such a specific purpose and not just for the nihilistic delight of, uh, yeah, I sometimes feel this way about hecklers, which is another mindset. I can't, I can't get into the head of somebody who wants to heckle a comedian at a club, but, but I think those two things are different. (laughs) I think the first, that one is about drawing attention to you. It's right. So it's, there's an interesting, and I'll put, we'll put a link to the Wikipedia page. Um, there's an interesting little section in the Wikipedia page on internet troll, and it and it's re- referencing. So I'll quote: Researcher Ben Radford wrote about the phenomenon of clowns in history and modern day in his book Bad Clowns, and found that bad clowns have evolved into internet trolls. They do not dress up as traditional clowns, but for their own amusement, they tease and exploit human foibles in order to speak the truth and gain a reaction. And that, until that last sentence, I, I'm with it. But, you know, if a stand-up comedian is using humor, sometimes insulting or outrageous humor in order to speak truth, often, not always, obviously. But I, I think the troll really is more like the watch the world burn. Like, I yeah. don't think they're doing it for truth at all. Well, I mean, I, I don't think he's a troll. But if anything, like Andrew Dice Clay or some of or right. or uh, to use a more modern example, Anthony Jeselnik, whole, like he has a whole persona of just being a totally offensive asshole i still wouldn't call him a troll it is he is adopting a persona for the purpose of his comedy so yeah i like i that's a good question can a stand-up comedian be a troll i don't think so they can be not funny or they can piss people off or but you know that there's a certain level of insincerity yeah did we talk about um I think we we talked about you. You might have pointed this guy out to me. The the that liberal wrestler. Oh Did, yeah, right. That was so hilarious. Like, God, really totally matters. Forgot. I mean, in some ways, Stephen Colbert could be considered a troll for conservatives, 
right? He's he's playing this the persona old of being Colbert, the, yeah. the old Colbert. Yeah, um, he's playing this persona of being an ultra conservative and trying to point out the stupidity of conservatism. I guess he has there's a there's a mission for for Colbert there, but but yeah. it seems as if it's pretty <laughs> it's a pretty good troll. I don't know if that's trolling though. I think that's just parody. That's just like Saturday Night Live is not trolling when they do Trump or No, but but there is no there's no Alec Baldwin playing Trump isn't pretending to be sincere. Right? Like that that is parody. I think there's something about say this liberal wrestler who's like, no, seriously, you know. Oh no, I think the liberal wrestler might be a troll, but for some reason, I don't think Colbert was a tr- was trolling. I think like, it depends on whether or not you think that. You know, I think that not that a naive viewer might actually think that Colbert yeah. is really conservative, <laughs> right? Yeah, which nobody does because you wouldn't watch the Colbert show if you thought that he was being fully yeah. sincere no, about it. I agree. I agree. Yeah, you're right. Um, um, but the liberal wrestler, <laughs> although wrestling is something where you kind of purposely suspend your critical fat. Like, there yeah. can't be heels unless everybody goes in there thinking that. You know, all right, I'm not going to ask myself any deep questions about right. to what extent they mean this and to what extent they don't. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. Huh. Um, but yeah, yeah I love no, that I, liberal wrestler. That was hilarious. We should put a was, link to that. It was brilliant. Can we talk a little bit about about this bit, what, what people have called the benign troller, Ken M. So I sent you this link. Yeah, because uh, another possible category is that they're malicious. Like, Right. And I don't think that you have to be malicious to be a troll. I think you do have to be insincere and your point is to get people riled up. But right. I don't think you have to be malicious and this is a great example. Yeah. Yeah, so so listeners might have heard of this guy. This guy's been a legend for a long time. <laughs> this guy named Ken M um who I guess started out we'll, we'll put a link to an art, to an article about him from Gizmodo who, who started out on Yahoo Answers by just playing somebody who's who's ignorant and overconfident in in their in their posts and has an oove like a, a body of work that's just brilliant the people you know i think there's probably a subreddit dedicated to just his trolling i'm trying to find a good example okay so here's one it's an article so he'll go on news sites right and so so this one high school recalls a yearbook over photos showing sex act this is from reuters or yahoo news and he yeah. quote he he writes Another Yahoo article with no photo attached. <laughs> and this is just so, so somebody replies with true outrage. Are you a child molester or just like looking at kids? You sound sick. <laughs> and he says, of course not. But they could edit the pic so that it isn't child porn anymore. It'd just be a matter of photoshopping adult genitals on them. <laughs> I have I have two favorites. That's a great one um, because it's a great thing about how he doesn't. He just never gives up the game. Like he never he, breaks character. He never yeah. breaks character. So uh, eclipse season on Mars. So Curiosity, which I guess is one of their rovers, um, it took photos. So it's eclipse season on Mars. So Curiosity took photos, and then there's a photo of Mars. <laughs> Ken M says. The rover would be wise to refrain from sightseeing and stick to its job. <laughs> sightseeing is its job, somebody says. It can do that on its own time. Every minute there costs billions of my tax dollars. 
you're an idiot. The whole point of every mission to Mars is to sightsee. And then, like, well, it must be nice to be paid to be a tourist when we're all busting our butts on Earth. Oh, God, he's it's, so funny. Uh, and and perhaps in what just a, another epic move, this is a Gizmodo article from 2015. Very first comment is, fuck this dude. He sounds like an annoying asshole. Posted by Ken M. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so I feel like we have some 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 work to do for the necessary and sufficient conditions of trolling, but I, I feel like we've got the family resemblance down. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, an expert troll is really good at sci- the psychology of outrage. Like, I mean, you and I both have to be talked down every once in a while by being told, like, maybe it's because we're not sure whether they're, they're trolls or whether they're sincerely saying something that we find very, very disagreeable well because often that's the only options they're either severely mischaracterized hostily mischaracterizing something we said or they're trolling and either way we shouldn't respond (laughs) (laughs) that's right it's a it's a hilarious sort of preying on a weakness that that we would need to respond like you know like somebody is wrong i have to you know like how could i let this stand it is if somebody said that to your face of course you'd want to correct them having to suspend that reaction on the internet is something that's like you know it's a it's a modern day necessary skill like i wonder if if the generation of say our daughters are are going to be just less less sucked into trolling because it's such an it's just a part of internet culture yeah, I think so. I think they'll just be more mature about it. Like, we're in this sweet spot. And, and maybe the worst are people who are one generation, like early 30s or something yeah. like that, where, you know, they they still really care about how they're perceived. And so a troll can really do damage on those people, especially on social media and stuff like that. Huh, that's interesting. I, you know, I... I feel like I'm improved, but what I've improved is my behavior, not not my gut reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so it takes it takes some real suppression on my part. And we had someone and, on Reddit that we didn't know. Like I honestly yeah. didn't know if it was Yeah, you yeah. Remember that was post? Unclear. Yeah, yeah. You were like, wait, are you trolling? <laughs> I think I like I was like fifty fifty on that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it wasn't clear. I'm sure that this will elicit a response where they say I wasn't trolling, but that still won't be evidence. <laughs> no, that's exactly what a troll would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I concluded that they weren't, but but if they if they are, they're an expert. They're they're on, they're trolling at like a you know graduate school level. Uh, but it, but there's a there's like expert like Ken M where it's a force for good. Yeah, I don't know that Ken M is a force for good. He's like a chaotic neutral kind of you know. I I don't know what good he's doing other than giving us laughter. That's a good. <laughs> but that's it. That's that might be it. Yeah. <laughs> the world needs laughter. Uh, and it's kind uh, of like good innocent fun, Ken M. Yeah, it really except for the person <laughs> replying. I wonder how many of the people who respond realize afterwards, like, oh, shit, I got trolled. Like, I got- yeah, then you tip your hat. If Ken M had got me, I would just be, yeah, nice. You, you know, it's you like know, getting punked or something. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's how, that's how you should react. Um, can uh, we talk about this question of art and can art troll? Because yeah. my first thought was yes, and I might have even been 
willing to say that Lynch was trolling his audience a little bit, although in a good way. But now I'm starting to think, no. Yeah, an artist control. I don't know that the artist could troll via the art, right? Like right. so, so Lynch could could uh, sort of qua artists to get on the internet and say something about like, hey, what you guys don't know is that Laura Palmer was alive the whole time. <laughs> but if he did that in an actual show, I'm I'd be like, well, that's eh, part that's... of the art- artwork now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think what the person meant, and I'll say this without trying to spoil anything, but there were certain beloved characters that were seemed like they were being deliberately withheld. You know, it, it was like deliberately withholding fan service in right. a way. But that, again, the, the, that, that whole season was about nostalgia and wanting to go back to the past. I think that's just part of the art. It's not trolling in that case. And it's also... Just David Lynch. Like, that's just what he does. They made this point on Diane, but David Lynch never gives you what you expect. And that's just how he, that's just what makes David Lynch, David Lynch. It's not trolling. It's just, and, and I doubt that, you know, when you say it's insincere, it's very sincere from, right. from, well, from so there, him. So there are two questions. One, it was David Lynch trolling. And the other is, can an artist troll? And what would it take to troll the audience. So here's an example, maybe. I mean, I don't, nobody would do this, but what if you remade Ghostbusters but have had all of them be women? Would that be trolling? No, no one would do that. <laughs> Plus, who would get mad at that? Why would anybody get mad at that? <laughs> I mean, I, I, th- I think it's possible. I mean, we could troll our audience. Suppose that we did a really sincere sounding show where like you were arguing that there was no gender bias in play diets. Like, I feel... <laughs> <laughs> see we're not being sincere mm-hmm. <laughs> no but right. i mean but but in all seriousness i think we could troll our audience if we put out an episode i mean we're not artists i mean like we might like to think of this as art but it's not it's definitely art <laughs> uh just saying it's art is trolling our audience i'll make a really trolly beat for this episode <laughs> Well, is Tarantino, does Tarantino troll his audience sometimes? Oh, uh, yeah, you were saying that about his 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 character, which we got some comments on the use, the use of the N-word in Pulp Fiction. By, yeah, by, by could the that character count that as troll? Trying. It's not really part of his art. I think the word provocative, as you used it, is the one that really gives me pause about, like, I mean, it indicates sincerity. I think that, but, but it might not indicate sincerity. It might indicate a cash grab, like a attention grab. But I think that in the purpose of getting attention and link, you know, views and clicks and all that, if that's the purpose, then maybe that's not troll. Like, I really feel like trolling has to be this chaotic action. It's funny also, like, I think it was a different time then. And that was, even though it was fairly shocking, if Tarantino did that now, I would be more inclined to say (laughs) that it was... But, you know, like, Reservoir Dogs had white people saying the N-word, too, and, like... There's something about Tarantino himself putting himself in the movie that seems as especially trolly. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. All right. Well, that was... That was a much longer discussion on trolling than I think I thought we could ever have. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back to talk about Big Lebowski. Lebowski. 
<laughs> you want the money, Lebowski. Lebowski. Hey, <laughs> that is accurate pronunciation. I don't care what anybody says. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the show where we like to take a moment and thank our audience. I think we have a very tiny percentage of trolls among our audience, if any. Yeah. Um, Troll to sincerity ratio is great. It's just awesome. And we love when you get in touch with us. We got a bunch of really nice emails uh, lately and comments on previous episodes. And to get in touch with us, whether to thank us troll us or criticize us you can email us verybadwizards at gmail.com you can tweet at tamler at peas at verybadwizards you can follow us on instagram like us on facebook rate us on itunes that helps people positive ratings and reviews increase the algorithm although we seem pretty fucked on that end for some reason and you can uh, go to our subreddit, reddit slash r slash very bad wizards. And if you want to support us in more tangible ways, which we always appreciate, you can go to our support page. It's verybadwizards.com slash BBW support. Uh, there you can find a couple of ways to um, support us. One is to become a patron. And uh, thank you to all the people who became recent patrons because of our rick and morty episode that was fun to do if you like rick and morty and you're willing to throw us a couple of dollars uh per episode you can see that on our patreon page with yoel in bar with yoel in bar making a comeback don't call it don't call it a comeback um <laughs> and so so we would appreciate your support at, at any level i am as soon as this is done i am posting as soon as we're done recording i'm posting the beats they're all ready to go don't believe me this time yeah. this time it's really um or you can donate us uh donate to us directly at our paypal account there's also a link there and even though amazon put the kibosh on us whenever we do link to something like a book or or anything we mentioned that you might be able to buy on amazon if you click through that we actually get a little portion of the the money at no extra cost to you so we really really appreciate all of the support all of the patreons all the paypal donations and all of the other forms of support yeah thank you guys so the big lebowski i I think this movie is it's the most rewatchable movie of all time i i already know that there will never be a time where i won't want to see it anymore it's just so fun to have these characters in your life for a couple hours that's and and every one of them like i think every performance is 
awesome. I there's no bad performances in this movie. There's there's no blueberry pie girl in <laughs> the Big Lebowski. You know, there's nobody like that who you want to hit the fast forward button. You might want to hit the fast forward button a couple times in Lebowski, but not because of a performance or a character. Would you disagree with that? I'm trying to think. I you know, I don't care for Julianne Moore uh for her for her character. Um I think that I would say that's the weakest, but I think you're right. There's no bad performance. I mean, I think that's just a matter of my taste. I think the the one thing that I fast forward is the the musical interludes. Um even the where, second his, one his where dream, his dream sequences. Oh. So yeah. the one where he's flying like Superman I mean, you, you still shouldn't fast forward through it. But the other one is like a kind of a central, like all the themes coalescing in a dream. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just have low tolerance for when, when uh, music becomes central. Julianne Moore grew on me and it took maybe like a few times. At first I didn't, I had the same kind of reaction. She seems almost like a caricatured stereotypical humorless feminist but she's actually yeah i mean i I, i've grown to like that character and appreciate her performance and also the character herself they have great they have great banter those two yeah i mean she's supposed to be annoying in that particular way even though she actually is very you know the the dialogue that she's giving is very funny she's not laughing she's but she's funny and i also think it has two Utterly iconic characters, the dude and Walter. Walter might be the funniest character ever written. I mean, there's almost nothing that comes out of his mouth that isn't just so funny. And delivered with such sincerity and conviction. It's just, it's a perfect use of John Goodman. I I think John Goodman is one of the most underrated actors. You know, he's he's almost exclusively used in the supporting actor role but when he is man does he fucking deliver yeah he's so good in this (laughs) he's so good (laughs) and just like yeah just the anger and the indignation that he brings to things that just don't involve him that are none of his business that are (laughs) but he i mean he's the ultimate busybody i'm gonna make the case that he is the ultimate deontologist like he really at least his rhetoric, but I think also he believes it. We need to follow rules. I mean, he says that when he almost shoots Smokey. What does he say? Am I the only person that believes in rules anymore? He went over the line. You got it. Like, that's a zero. Like, that's that's a principle. Like, when he's at the coffee shop and they're asking him to stop, like, screaming out profanity in, like, the middle of the afternoon at this family diner. And he's like, first he brings out the First Amendment and the Supreme Court has roundly rejected prior restraint as a condition. Like, he's very (laughs) much. And then, you know, keeping kosher. I can't I can't bowl on Shabbos. I can't drive on Shabbos. I'm Shomer fucking Shabbos. Like. This is like there are these guiding principles that rule his life, even though they're there by accident. The kosher rules, like those are just he's not he did wasn't born Jewish. He, he converted and he converted. his wife divorced him and he's still doing he's still going to the same synagogue. He's still so So I'll I'll defend my view that he's far from a deontologist when I when I talk about my scenes, but but all I'll say now is just because he follows some rules doesn't make him a deontologist. <laughs> like no, but he's committed to rules as the guiding moral uh, he's principle. He's a worshiper of 
of rules, but he is so haphazard in their application that I wouldn't call it principle based at all. Like, you know, but he, like, he, he believes pulls out the first amendment um, because he wants to talk, not because he believes in the first amendment. Well, Oh, I'm not saying that the, but so, okay. Right. When I say <laughs> he's a deontologist, he thinks like a Kantian, as long <laughs> as you follow the rules, you're not wrong. You might be an asshole, but you're not wrong. And he's constantly asking, am I wrong? Am I wrong? Right? Like, and, and, and so as long as he doesn't violate the whatever imperatives, the principles, I'm not saying that they're not, you know, post hoc to, to a large degree, but he, he does seem to believe that, that where like the dude is like, yeah, but you're still an asshole. Smoke, who gives a fuck if he went two inches over the line? Like, that's not his that's not the way he's, i he is obsessed with rules like we'll leave yeah. like this can leave it I'll, I'll agree with you there yeah so i i love it for that i love it just because you can have it on constantly it's like a friend when you're traveling it is a it has a and it's got heart and you know i don't know like what do you think of cohen the cohen brothers in general i really like them i it's interesting that you say that you think it's got heart because, you know, and I'll probably take a harder stance here. I love the movie. I'll take, probably take a harder stance for the sake of argument. But I think it exactly doesn't have heart. I think it's it's lacking that. I think it's, it's of course, I love the Coen brothers. They take absurdity to, to this to me is like, it's Kafka-esque. It's, it's, uh, a reflection on the absurdity and meaninglessness of life. And I think it's wonderful as that. And I think a lot of Coen brothers movies are like, you thought, you thought there was meaning, but there's not, you know, I think this is one of the ultimate displays of that. Of kind of nihilism. It, I think it's a kind of nihilist movie. So this is what my thoughts were that there is, there is an active shaping of meaning by the Pulp Fiction characters. They're imposing this deeper meaning onto everything. Here in, in the big Lebowski, I think there is, it's all absurd. There is the, the person who tries the hardest to impose meaning on everything is Walter. Yeah. He's trying and, and he is a buffoon. He fucks everything it, up that he's yeah, trying to. He's, to, he's a buffoon. And I think that what, one of the things you're saying is like, you know, don't try. Like you can't, you can't find a deep meaning in this shit that's going on. Like he's. He's searching, Walter is searching for a system of meaning. He's searching for a moral code. He's searching, you know, he's, he's uh, embracing religion. He's embracing these, these rules, as you say. And I think he's doing a haphazard job at it. And he becomes sort of a character to be mocked, you know? Um, but and, also and I, one you feel affection for just because of his... You love Walter. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Yeah. I, I, lo- I think he is one of the great characters of all time. But I think that he is, you know, the the buffoon in the thematic sense where he's, you know, he's, he and and there is a moment. I didn't. Well, maybe I'll save it for our discussion. I think there's there's a moment where there's a nice grace note. There's a nice resolution of of this. But um, but the dude on the other hand is he's not trying to find meaning at all. That's why shit is like water. He's water. You know, well, he's so- the ultimate. 
so I mean, I, I I get that interpretation. The reason I said it's it's kind of heartwarming or it's got heart compared to a lot of their movies is that I think like the dude's character is stands for something in in that he is will just get carried off with events and will roll with them in this very kind of Taoist Zen like way. He's not trying to change things. He is just trying to play the hand that he's dealt and enjoy it as much as possible. And the sense you get of the Cohen brothers in terms of like an ethic or an ethos that they would approve of is the dude's ethos. You know, he is somebody that will not try to interfere too much with the world. That's a kind of ethic that that's a kind of now that it's very it is not necessarily something that you think will be great for society or that you would <laughs> wish on your uh children or something like that, but it's a kind of ethic that has a you know like that's why i think people have such deep affection for him yeah some people want to model their life after them which i think is a mistake but <laughs> the fact that that even exists you know i think shows that there's there is some meaningfulness to what he's to the to the way in which he just approaches the world and and his and experience Right. I mean, I think that in in a meta sense, like the ability to not to not become wrapped up in things like he would never care about the gold watch like that. It, you know, he kind of cares about the carpet. I'm interested about the rug. I'm interested. I'm interested to know what what your interpretation is about why he cares about the rug. Well, um, it ties the room together. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> can, no one can argue with that. But uh he is, I think, created as somebody who is not going to take part. You know, he's maybe it's maybe it just depends on your views of what detachment really is. Um, and and I think that what can be said with certainty is that he does not care to be involved. Yeah. And he used to be, you know, he talks about being part of the Seattle seven. With, yeah. Turns out six other guys. Um, <laughs> um, and you get the sense that he stopped trying. Yeah. Yeah. And in that and sense, maybe... makes him a man of his time. Like, because that's sort of what people were doing in, the, in that mm -hmm. point. They had stopped trying. The, like, the level of activism was not very high. The level of, you know, not compared to the 70s or late 60s when you, he went to college and when he was occupying various administration buildings and... Uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. So, so I, I think that you could champion him, him as somebody who is living a life that, that you might want to lead that of, of, of sort of detachment from all of the mundane things. And the big Lebowski, you know, the, the old man is the opposite in that sense. He is, cares about nothing more than the things of this world. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but he he's a fraud, right? That, that That's yeah, the one that's thing about the dude is he is in no way a fraud. He is authentically who he is in a way that no other character in that movie is. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that the Coen brothers are saying, look, the people who are trying so hard are are kind of idiots for trying so hard. Yeah. I think that that uh, the dude is clearly the, the champion of the movie, although 
the dude is somebody who just has things happen to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, I, it, it, you know, you think of some of these people who are trying too hard, and obviously the Lebowski, the Jeffrey Lebowski, the big Lebowski, is definitely fraudulent, unsympathetic, in that he is trying to present himself as, as something he's not. The, some of the other characters, I don't think they're mocking relentlessly like Maud even though Maud is trying to yeah. have this affectation they clearly they they have affection for that character and what she's trying to do and what she believes in even like the little <laughs> private detective that's following him in the VW <laughs> bug it's like I'm a Seamus I'm a <laughs> A private dick, like he, like he's not like he's trying, and like the landlord, he's trying, like he's trying, yeah. like bring out some part of him, and I think they have affection for that too. That's not the dude, but they have affection for these people who are stretching a little bit, who are trying to, as long as they're not hurting other people in the process. Yeah, you're right. They have affection for those for those characters in a way. I, and they even have affection for Walter. I, I think yeah. it's just that within the confines of the movie, that those aren't the people with Maud, isn't it? I mean, I was thinking about that. I don't know where Maud fits fits in here because on the one hand, um, she seems principled in some way. But on the other hand, you know, there's a scene where she's with her artist friend with a shitty mustache. Uh, uh, David Thewlis. Yeah, they're just laughing at everything. And I think there's something in that scene of laughter that is the ultimate way in which they're dealing with the world. Just laugh at this shit, you know? Yeah. I, I like I, that. I, I that saw reason. that as just him walking into some pretentious, like modern art community and just the way they, I don't know. Like, yeah, no, it was definitely like a, like modern artists. By the way, that actor he is awesome. He was, he was also in a movie of that period, like right around that period called naked. He was the star of that. That's incredible. And then, okay. So you want to go? Speaking of it, yeah. yeah, no, I was going to say Amy Mann is the nihilist uh, girlfriend who got her toe cut off. <laughs> I hadn't noticed it until this time. I was like, oh, shit, that's Amy Mann. When she orders at the diner. And, <laughs> and they're like, like so they don't funny. know, they, they can't understand her. And then the other guy says, dinkleberry uh, <laughs> pancakes. Or I'll fucking arschloch. Dinkleberry pancakes. Die Picks and Blankets. Für mich auch kein Bierfunkkuchen. Kein Bierfunkkuchen. Hier ist Lingonberry Pancakes. Oh Mann, wenn ich da an Pfannkuchen in Bremen denke. Ja, ja, was ist dann mit? Das ist einfach besser, da ist richtige Butter dran. Nicht so ein scheiß Fett, das schmeckt so ranzig und kacke hier, Mann. Das ist ganz scheiße. The pigs and blankets. I would love to nail down their accent. I'm not good at accents <laughs> in general, but there's something that's just so funny about the Nihilists. The fucking nihilists. <laughs> we want um, the money, Lebowski. I can't do Lebowski. it. But it's not exactly German. It's, like it's not full on German either. It's some weird perversion of a German accent. <laughs> yeah. People trying to get the, the German accent. Um, all right. Should we talk about the scenes? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I like about this movie is... People are constantly getting things a little bit wrong. Yeah. You know, it, it's just like a theme in there. Like everyone's getting a little, you know, it, the, one of the most delightful things upon rewatching the movie is when you notice that 
the dude is just repeating everything yeah. that people say before him. Like he's kind of a blank slate, you know, he's like a, a, a leaf blowing in the wind. <clears throat> but um, even his dialogue just flows through him. Like the, his, the, the, what he hears then will just come out exactly, later on. Just at come a, out. And you're like, like, I don't know if this is in the service of a larger theme, but or they're just trying to say he's a pothead. No, um, I mean, it is. But, I think that's his personality. Yeah. Like he like what comes into him, like will go out of him like, at, yeah. when in the, in the right time when there's the right flow. Um, so so I, I think that that to me, one of my favorite scenes that captures the the what I think is an underlying nihilism about the movie or at least a a. Don't don't attempt to find meaning in things. Is when um, he's at he's Jackie Treehorn's house, yeah, um, and he sees him take a phone call and sketch something down on a notepad. And for a second there, just for a second, you see the dude all of a sudden be like, "No, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to be a private detective." For like. Yeah. Like, I don't know what changes in his character at that moment. And so he goes to the notepad where uh, Jackie Treehorn has, has ripped off the note that he was writing. And he does that that trick that, you know, that, that you learn when you're a kid of shading the paper to see what was written on the top paper because of the indentation will still come out. And it's just a dick. Yeah. Right. And and there is something in that scene that to me captures what this movie is about. It's like. You want, I know you want it to be about something. I know you want this to be a mystery that's in, in like wonderful and that you're going to solve in like this traditional structure of a story or a mystery, but nah, it's all just, just a dick. In fact, <laughs> it's just a cock and balls. Yeah. I love that. A wrecked, like an erect uh, <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, I mean, that, and it is interesting. It's it's almost out of, it's out of character that he yeah. would do that in, in a certain way. I think as the events go along, he starts to gain a little more confidence in his ability to figure things out. Um, at first, he has a kind of humility about it, and it's Walter that's already, but then he starts yeah. to think, oh, wait, I'm starting to, everything's kind of falling into place. And that's the, you know, that's one of the culminations of that. And then to the extent that he has an arc at all, it's him realizing, okay, no, I don't like, (laughs) I I shouldn't have even thought for a second I could figure out what's going on because I know that the the whole, I get this sense that he, he's just like, if only I had just not cared about that rug. I think that's, that's the rug is, is less a MacGuffin and more a like this is where the movie begins. It's when he started to care about something and everything went downhill when he started to care about that rug. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know if he ever shows regret for caring about the rug. It's tied the room together. Like it's as much of a meaning as he's going to have in his life. Like there's bowling and there's the rug. He doesn't want to have a family. He, he's completely detached in any, you know, from any kind of moral yeah cause so the rug you don't think that he that he is doesn't want to be in these situations yeah but i think that he i definitely think he doesn't but i don't think he regrets the rug because he keeps kind of chasing after the rug and no i so it's not that i think that he didn't care about the rug i think it's just that the moment that he invests in an attachment is when things go downhill and at some point doesn't he say you know, I could have just had a soiled rug or whatever. Like I just could have had a, a <laughs> yeah. peat on rug. Like that would. <laughs> so my first scene is the 
opening in the supermarket with Sam Elliott's <laughs> voiceover, and I just think it does a great job of setting the like the the themes of the movie just right out there. Uh, it's not it's not a secret that this is a movie about masculinity, deconstructing it, uh, subverting all of our expectations about it, and you know he just says straight out like sometimes there's a man i won't say a hero because what's a hero and his voice is just so great that's one of the all-time voices just amazing and he says sometimes there's a man well he's the man for his time this place and even this movie is all about interruptions corrections people being corrected (laughs) people even sam elliott in this opening just kind of like gets lost in what he's trying to say he just exactly get, and <laughs> exactly he's like it's like just from the get-go they're like yeah this is look this is going to be about this wonderful story and then he just loses his train of thought yeah. and I'm like, what no <laughs> and then he's like all right and it's like you said like i shouldn't have tried to get too deep here like i was <laughs> i was saying sometimes there's a man that just re- you know he's saying I, he represents his time and place los angeles in the early 90s but you know then he just starts getting lost in it just trying to get too deep about it and he's like i'll just tell you the story and stop uh, rambling yeah. like that but it <laughs> right. it really is and it has the first uh, moment of what you're talking about you see george w uh george hw bush talking about invading iraq again in 1990 1990 actually right 91 uh, uh yeah 91 91 yeah. yeah this aggression will not stand um this aggression to kuwait will not stand and then that will then come up in his first meeting with Lebowski, um, this aggression will not stand, man. <laughs> you know, it's just like it, that just can't. It's just so funny that that would come from George Her- Herbert Walker Bush. Yeah, uh, that would. That's his dial. That's what informs his dialogue with uh, Lebowski. It's just so great. And it really is just this is a movie about what it means to be a man. They say that over and over again. The scene, the fr- the second scene with the big Lebowski where he, he just says, what makes a man, Mr. Lebowski? Yeah. You know, like this is about that question. What makes a man in this day and age? There's no war. People are being detached. Nobody seems to have a family in this movie <laughs> except, I guess, the Lebowski and Maude, but they're completely alienated from each other. I interpret the, what is it, what does it mean to be a man as less about masculinity and more about like, what does it take to, to, to be a responsible adult human being? I agree. Obviously there's unavoidable discussion of, I mean, there's, I can, I can't say that it's not about masculinity because the (laughs) Walter's violence and his, his desire to, to, to be an authority, all, all that. I think you're right about the masculinity, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether that discussion about what what does it mean to be a man is about masculinity per se and not just about like, well, what does it mean to be a responsible grown human being in society? Oh, see, you I got to told- contribute. I disagree with this very strongly. So I think when he's having the discussion with Lebowski at the beginning, the two Lebowski's about like what like get a job, do what your parents do, and I I overcame in my the Chinaman thing is another thing that's a recall from the earlier. Uh, they took my legs, but I persevered. That's about like what a man is supposed to do. And a man has this trophy wife. 
that he gives an allowance to. And then that's completely turned on his head where it's actually his daughter that's giving him an allowance. And Walter is always talking about like being, you know, his buddies face down in the muck in Nam, but he's taking care of his ex-wife's Pomeranian and when she goes with her new husband or lover to Hawaii, like all these things about like what, what defines a man just seems like they're just getting completely subverted and turned around. You know, once you realize that the Lebowski actually has no money, he has no like job that he's done. He's, he's been given this job to keep him, busy like like he's some kid these people are boys and not men and there's no way for them or they don't know how to be a man and maybe there's no way unless you're going to be the dude i yeah i think there's there's i i think even just the the whole thread of getting your penis chopped off is consistent with that right yes um and so it's not so much that i disagree i just don't know it's like Pulp Fiction being about redemption. Well, like I know that that's like the substance of a lot of the movie, but, but I, I feel like there's no, there's, there's the deeper layer of like the meaninglessness, but in part, because I don't know that anybody ever is an example of what it, like it, I don't see the movie as contributing to that question other than just saying like, yeah, these are a bunch of people who are not really. So, okay. I'm ready for my second scene. This scene is probably an obvious pick, but it's the, the scene where they're scattering Donnie's ashes and I it's it's the most weirdly touching funny and sad scene I think of the movie um and the reason I I mean aside from the fact that it sort of pulls my heartstrings I nobody wanted Donnie to die um (laughs) no (laughs) no uh we just wanted him to shut the fuck up that's all we wanted he's out of his element he's out of his element um and the ashes uh so so walter is is you know giving his his little funeral speech and in in line with his character as we've described him he just starts rambling about like soldiers who 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 died in vietnam and i actually have the quote yeah yeah he died like so many young men of his generation he died before his time in your wisdom lord you took him as you took so many bright, flowering young men at Quezon, at Long Dock, at Hill 364. <laughs> These young men gave their lives, and so would Donnie. Donnie, who loved bowling. <laughs> and, and this is one of the points where, so there's two things that happen um, that, that, that I really like. One is the dude just calls him on it. He's like, come, like, stop it. Like this know, is after the of, ashes has blown. This after the, <laughs> the ashes, have, yeah. they, they have Donnie's ashes in a coffee can because they didn't want to pay for the overpriced urns, which, uh, you know, I don't blame them. The death industry is, <laughs> is ridiculous. This is our most modestly priced, <laughs> modestly <laughs> priced <laughs> receptacle. <laughs> um, and, and the dude just finally just loses, loses it a little bit with Walter and he calls him out on it. And Walter has this, what I think is a super sincere, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, dude. Like, yeah, he actually apologizes. He realizes it. And, and I feel like Walter is having a moment where at least in the way that I've been seeing the movie, you know, Walter is this dude who's, who, who's 
creating or leaning on these sources of meaning that are are really just kind of ridiculous and meaningless um, that he shouldn't be relying on anymore. And I, and I feel like in that moment and the meaninglessness of Donnie's death um, and being called out by the dude, which seriously, if the dude calls you out, you, you, you probably really are in the wrong, <laughs> in the wrong at this point that he see, he seems to me to come to face with the actual meaninglessness that, that, it's lifted the veil um, and he's, he, it's a raw moment. I don't know. It feels like it's a, it's a coming to, to terms with, and I think he'll go right back to being old Walter, but I think in that moment he has some clarity about just yes. stop with the bullshit. It is a moment of clarity for him. I think you can see it. He's such a, he's so good in this performance. You can see it in his body. Like yeah. he's always so tightly wound. And then when he hugs, the dude, he just kind of slumps a little bit into his arms. And I think so that his body language also reflects this acceptance that, yeah. you know, and I agree, he's going to probably go back, but his, this acceptance that it is actually time to move on from <laughs> yeah. from uh, Vietnam and stop using it as an excuse for <laughs> right. every, every one of your weird obsessions. But even the last line of it, right? He says, fuck it, let's go bowling. You know, yeah, so. it's like, I mean, it's it's something I think that in, in a lot of uh, great movies and TV shows, um, at least the ones that I like, there is a truth to people's inability to really truly change or step out of who they are. Um, you see this in The Sopranos a lot, and we've probably talked about it, where where something happens to rattle you and you feel like you have this sobering moment of clarity, but then you just go right back to, to yeah. the person you are because you know what? It's too hard to... You can't dwell on the meaninglessness of life or the futility of everything that you're doing or believe in. You can't dwell on that for that long. You have to just continue living. I don't think his moment of clarity, as Samuel Jackson's character would call it, <laughs> is that life is meaningless. I think it is something much more specific about Walter that he has imbued all, everything he's doing now with uh, the meaning of Vietnam and... And, yeah. and, and, and the Shabbat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, right, and Shabbat, like he's, he's realized that the things that he professes to, to care about actually aren't relevant to the situation that he is... But but I but it's not life is meaningless at that point. I don't think it's not a kind no, no. of a nihilism. It's 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 something very much more personal to 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 him. Yeah, I feel it's right to clarify it because I don't mean that he's all of a sudden become you know the Sisyphus pushing a rock and and pondering. But I do mean that those systems that he's that he leans on to you know that are total defenses. They're they're they they're they can't wrap him up as a blanket today, right? They're not. They're not working today. Today, yeah. today, you're faced with like the the harsh reality that, you know what, doesn't Donnie's dead, and you need it. And maybe here's where where I'll walk back a little bit my my uh, insistence that this isn't exactly about masculinity because there is something about the hug that that is just a reminder that you know. For all of the attempts at being hyper-masculine that Walter uh, displays, 
he does need that hug in that moment. It really is. You're right. It's a sincere moment of hugging. And, and it's something that men, at least in, in America, don't do very often. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. He needs it. And it's also like he becomes kind of a child at that moment, yeah, too, right. which is an accusation that he levels at, at Donnie in the beginning of the movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like he just like, yeah, he needs to be comforted. And, and and the dude is he always rolls with everything. Like once he he gets that sort of acceptance from Walter, then he's willing to give him the hug. Yeah, You know, it's funny about the nihilism thing because there are actual so-called nihilists in the movie and they're the most ridiculous characters. Absolutely. They're they're the most. (laughs) And, you know, they're one of the great lines when they want they start. We want the money, Lebowski, after (laughs) he's like, no, there's no hostage. He's like, well, we still want it. It's not fair. And then Walter says, fair. Who's the fucking nihilist? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was going to say they're terrible nihilists. Like, it's not. They act with more purpose and meaning than anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) They just want money. Uh, (laughs) and and I also like there's some line in his funeral oration where he says in accordance with what your wishes might well have been (laughs) they don't really know anything about Donnie you know like nobody knows anything in this movie yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's not like and there's nobody to contact for Donnie like there's no there's just no attachments beyond this little world (laughs) All right, so that's a good bridge into my next scene, which is the opening scene after... This is pretty much the scene that follows my last scene, but you have the opening credits, which is just so beautifully choreographed. The bowling alley and the aesthetic of that and the weird grace of it all. And then into the introduction of Walter and Donnie at the bowling alley and talking about the rug that really tied the room together. And it's just a comic masterpiece of a scene. First, you have the dude explaining that they peed on his rug. You have Walter (laughs) just immediately getting pissed off about that. And then again, like relating it to to his past experiences, to the war, uh, and then all the interruptions, and then Donnie coming back kind of into the conversation, and already you get a sense that Donnie's just always three or four seconds at best behind what's going on. And <laughs> Walter, what is the point? Look, we all know who is at fault here. What the fuck are you talking about? Huh? No, what the fuck are you? I'm not. We're talking about unchecked aggression here. What the dude. fuck is he talking my about? My rug. Forget look, it, Donnie. You're Walter, out of your element. Walter, the Chinaman who peed on my rug. I can't go give him a bill. So what the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? The Chinaman is not the issue here, dude. I'm talking about drawing a line in the sand, dude. Across this line, you do not. Also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. Asian American, please. Walter, this isn't a guy who built the railroads here. This is a guy. What the fuck are you talking? Walter, he peed on my rug. He peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. Dude, the Chinaman is not the issue here. So it's just like it, it captures perfectly the banter, the interruption. The It, it, it introduces you to if the... The, the prelude sort of introduced you to the themes of the movie. This just introduces you so perfectly in such an entertaining way to all the characters and just sets up the plot. It's just such a perfect 
way of setting up what this movie is going to be. And, yeah. and yeah, I love it. Yeah. Okay. My, my last uh, favorite scene is <laughs> this again, I think goes with my theme, but it's the scene <laughs> where they go confront um, Larry with his homework uh, and his dad's in an yeah. iron lung. <laughs> Which is, yeah. it's just a perfectly absurd scene, right? So, so basically they think that this kid, some high school kid, um, took their car and must have the money, the money that was in a briefcase. Um, and so they do their detective work and I, I just love the fact that they have his crumpled up homework laminated. <laughs> Walter <laughs> yeah. pulls it out of his briefcase and he's like, is this your homework, Larry? Dude, please, is this your homework, Larry? You know, and the kid is just a little shit and he's not saying a word. I don't even remember if he says a word in this scene. Um, yeah. And and his father... I don't think he does. You know, <laughs> his father is in an iron lung just in the background, you know, being kept alive by this big, big machinery. This I don't know what that was, <laughs> but it is this, like, aesthetically this, like, it looks like, like a futuristic thing... <laughs> From a movie in the fifties or sixties, yeah, like, exactly. That's what it looks it, like. It's it's uh, so it's the machine that keeps people breathing. Who it was very commonly used for polio patients because the degenerate the degeneration of the muscles in polio made it really hard for people to breathe. And so, so many people were in these in these machines, you know, not all day, every day, but but often for long long parts of the day just to help them breathe but it's that perfect aesthetic that 50s futuristic yeah. you know it's something you would see in tomorrowland <laughs> yeah. and so uh so they're confronting about the homework clearly the kid's not saying anything and probably doesn't know anything and and walter is just getting increasingly increasingly angry is this is your homework larry is that your car out front is this your homework larry we, we know it's his fucking homework where's the fucking money you little brat look larry have you ever heard of Vietnam? Oh, for You're entering a world Walter. of pain, son. We know that this is your homework. We know that you stole a car. And the fucking money. And the fucking money. And we know that this is your homework. I'm going to cut your dick off, Larry. You're killing your father, Larry. All right. This is pointless. Okay. It's time for plan B. You might want to watch out that front window, Larry. Son, this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass! Language problem here. A little prick stonewalling me. Walter! You mean this is when he's crashing the car? Yeah, that he's, he's, yeah he goes outside and he's just bashing a Corvette. Uh, which turns out, again, is a mistake not to be the kids, but rather to be the, the neighbors across the street. <laughs> so, and so he, right. once again with this like this is like a noir that that is constantly trying to get off the ground and never quite manages to right and then the the, the dude's car is always the victim <laughs> of all these misunderstandings so in this case the guy fucks up the dude's car like said but in every one that every time that walter fucks something up it's the dude's car that suffers until it finally just gets burned up and destroyed. <laughs> and the neighbor's like, I kill your fucking car. And <laughs> just like destroys it. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and that's a classic line from the movie. <laughs> you see what happens, Larry? Do you see what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass? Uh, yeah. And, and 
just the absurdity. I mean, I think I really like it because of the absurdity of the situation, right? They're confronting some 15-year-old with the laminated homework, iron lung in the background. They're trying to solve some mystery that has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in the moment. And it just ends up being, again, uh, wrong and fucks up the, the dude's car. Uh, nothing, nothing comes of that. No. <laughs> They're going to cut your dick off, Larry. <laughs> the t- <laughs> <laughs> the dude still thinks like when he's talking to Jackie Treehorn, he tells him like that Larry has the money. <laughs> yeah. And then he just he just says, So if you could write out a check for fifty thousand dollars for me, that would be <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh I think I forgot almost forgot this. My favorite is Walter's at his at his just at the end of his patience and he goes, You're killing your father, Larry. <laughs> it's also such a funny transition because he starts out for walter so respectful yeah because they're fans of the guy in the iron lung and then just just switches on a dime (laughs) to pure rage yeah that's a great little prick is stonewalling me (laughs) so i like it's funny your scenes are definitely good and like i had a real problem with this because i kind of love every scene and I don't know, like, and and just choosing one just makes it me feel like I'm I'm, I'm slighting the other ones. And <laughs> I had the same problem I, with the Pulp Fiction. Actually, I was like, every scene belongs. Here's what I'm doing with my last scene: is a cheat, like a tie. <laughs> the the rest of the movie this is the rest of the movie. Your last scene. <laughs> There's two characters that we haven't talked about that I that are just so good and and iconic in their own way. Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, as the, like the Smithers of (laughs) uh, the big Lebowski. So after he meets with Lebowski, which is another great scene in its own right, he, uh, he takes the rug and they go out and they see Tara Reed. It's sort of like a big sleep parody where the, the, yeah. you have this young woman and she's being uh, flirtatious sexually, telling him to blow on, on her toes and, and then says, I'll suck your cock for $1,000. You're not blowing. Our guest has to be getting along, Mrs. Lebowski. Oh, your bunny. I'll suck your cock for a thousand dollars. Wonderful woman. We're all we're all very fond of her. Very free spirited. Brand can't watch though, or he has to pay a hundred. <laughs> That's marvelous. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna go find a cash machine. I, I just love this line. He goes. That's marvelous. <laughs> he does such a good job of being such a tight ass. Yeah, no, he's very funny. He's <laughs> another performance that grows on you the more you see it. And that's just a it's just a great scene. That's where you're introduced to the nihilist who just passed out in the pool. <laughs> he's a nihilist. Must be exhausting. <laughs> yeah, so that's the first one and the second one is is uh Jesus Quintano. John Turturro, I'm opening. glad you brought him up. We can't, we can't not talk about John Turturro's performance here. It is, and it's iconic too. Like he doesn't get much screen time, but what he gets, it's like holy fucking shit. <laughs> that opening where 
it's just this music and you just cut to him with the bowling ball and then he just licks, <laughs> licks the bowling ball and then it's in slow motion he bowls a strike all this is in slow motion turns around and just does this like i don't know what kind of dance like some sort of like <laughs> salsa whatever to the music of Hotel California in <laughs> like but, a lat- but, Latinized version of Hotel. Yeah, a Latinized version of it, and then he comes over to to them and and starts talking shit. You ready to be fucked, man? <laughs> I see you rolled your way into the semis. I can't do this. <laughs> Dios mío, man. Dios mío, man. Liam and me, we're gonna fuck you up. Yeah. Well. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Let me tell you something, Pandeo. You pull any of your crazy shit with us, you flash a piece out on the lanes, I'll take it away from you and stick it up your ass and pull the fucking trigger till it goes click. Jesus. You said it, man. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. Eight-year-olds, dude. All that, like his his performance is so good, and and his partner Liam, like I, I it's it's so just that guy, and, and the fact that those two are together is ju- is just so funny. He he steals the scene, and and you know, in in terms of iconic status, he steals the movie almost right. Like that, if there yeah. is a character to be remembered. <laughs> <laughs> there's a great like slow-mo this is part of the slow-mo after he shoots the strike where he just he just stares them down he stares at all of them this is before they've met or before they've had any encounter that we've seen and for any and, and then you just cut i mean a shot where you see i think it's first first the dude then walter and then donnie and then he just kind of he does like a kiss he does like a slow-mo kiss to (laughs) donnie and donnie just kind of blinked just also the way that uh that jesus quintana cleans his bowling ball (laughs) the way that he's standing in the squat (laughs) just looking like a big big ball sack (laughs) uh he's he's supposed to be making a, a sequel yeah, I think that's more legend than true. Yeah. But I, I yeah, so like I just wanted to it's 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 less a scene because I really do love all these scenes, but more just those two performances I I thought needed some love because we haven't mentioned them. Yeah. And they're both so good. I think it's a good call. All right. All right. So let's talk about which one of these movies is better. <laughs> do we have to? They're both so good. They're both so good. It's just delight. My love for them has just grown from just talking about them. I'll say that it's almost not fair because I think Pulp Fiction doesn't gain from as many rewatches as The Big Lebowski does. So, like, the if if you just did it after you saw each of them once, Pulp Fiction would be. And like the most obvious winner of this, uh, like say you both saw them in the theater. Like I, yeah, so- I agree. I would say a little differently that like there is a, like an inverted U to Pulp Fiction. So like, I think you still need to watch it uh, more than once. Um, Definitely. And there's like a, a point at which, and I think I've passed that point where rewatches are no longer going to yield anything new. 
And some of the scenes turn from really good to a little annoying. Some of the stuff, like the Royale with cheese, first time you see it, it's very yeah. funny, and then it, and now it sort of seems like oh, that's Tarantino, yeah. you know, doing yeah, his yeah. thing. And I agree. Like I actually got a lot out of rewatching it because I hadn't in a while, you know, in a few years, Pulp Fiction. But um, it it really was like it was an event to see it in the theater in a way that Big Lebowski definitely wasn't. And it's still not that great to see in the theater unless you're in a crowd of of people who absolutely love right. it. It's funny because Quentin Tarantino made this comparison, and I think it fits here. So it, it's in the DVD of Jackie Brown, which is m- maybe my favorite Tarantino movie. And he's talking about the difference between Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction. He says, Pulp Fiction is this thing. You get together, you watch it. It's, that's how it's meant to be experienced. And then Jackie Brown, on the other hand, this is a movie that is that you could have on while you're like folding laundry, you know, like you're doing other things. You just want to be in this world with these characters for a little while. So it's a, like he separated the genre of those two movies in a way that I actually think works maybe even better. It works fine with those two, but it works even better with The Big Lebowski and Pulp Fiction. Big Lebowski is a movie you travel with, and it's just fun to have. It's obviously, we haven't talked about this, but it might be the perfect stoner movie. Like, <laughs> you get stoned and watch The Big Lebowski, you're ne- you've never been happier, and it's you, you can start and stop watching it at any point. It's like a friend. It's like something you take with you. It's something... Whereas Pulp Fiction is a different thing. Yeah, it is apples and oranges. I find it a little hard to catch that intuition about the being able to... Like, I think I've watched Pulp Fiction so many times that it is, to me, a perfect background movie. Um, but I get, I get why it can't be for the first few watches, because it's it's driven plot driven in a way where attention is required the other thing to me is that one of the reasons it's apples and oranges is pulp fiction feels like tarantino had a bunch of ideas that he had just been waiting to get down he strung them together and made a movie's movie like you know a lot of this is just it oozes tarantino's love for movies yeah. And I feel like, you know, it, it feels like somebody's first movie, even though it wasn't his first movie. It, it feels like he, he the, the device with which he ties together all the stories was an excuse to have these scenes. You can just picture him like thinking about like, oh, there's this gold watch scene that I want. Oh, there's this other scene where like, imagine this dude has to like take out the mob boss's girlfriend, you know? Um, right. Yeah. And, and he ties them together in a way that end up, ended up, I think being brilliant, but it, but it is, it's just a different kind of film. It was like, it, it, it was Tarantino flexing his movie muscle in a way that yeah. the Coen brothers are just so much more subtle in the way that they made the big Lebowski. It is a slow growing love because yeah. it's just not obvious that it's a great film. You can get hung up on trying to follow the plot at first, you know, and, and this is a riff on all, a lot of noir movies. Yeah, right. Which are, you know, famously convoluted plots. But if you do that and you don't look at it more as a character driven 
comedy with just unbelievably great lines and scenes, you know, that will hurt your enjoyment. Right. Maybe movie. that's it. That maybe, maybe that I made the mistake that time. Maybe that's a common first watch mistake to think that there is something there. I mean, this is, you know, there is nothing there in the big Lebowski in the way that you think that there ought to be something there. That if you watch it out of completely out of context, you're like, wait, okay, so wait, is there a mystery here? Like what's... <laughs> <laughs> right and there's still it's still not totally clear like jackie treehorn's uh five million dollars or whatever what happened to yeah it, still or like know. what <laughs> the reason i i am a big lebowski man to tie it back is that i i love all the characters so much I just love the vibe of it so much, and I love the flow of it is so perfect. Maybe it boils down to the fact that, that you smoke pot and I don't, even though most of our <laughs> like, listeners think yeah. that I do. <laughs> um, where The Big Lebowski, I feel like I, maybe that's part of it. Like I feel like I can put Pulp Fiction on and just watch one of the scenes and be entertained. And that's sort of a, a pro to me. Also, the you're totally right that like, uh, you know, hearing the, Royale with cheese conversation a million times. You're just like, okay, this is more Tarantino, but it, it is the, the quotability of all that dialogue. That's one of the things that just makes me, you know, I can sit there and, and like a nerd kind of like just be saying the movie, yeah. the whole, like the whole script to me seems quotable. Um, and, and I love it because of that, I, the best scenes of the pulp uh, in pulp fiction achieve a peak movie dumb that I, you know, arguably, I suppose that I, even though, Tarantino has made movies that one could defend as better than Pulp Fiction. There's just those standalone scenes that I think are just, they're just so good. There's the, they're set pieces yeah. that are just so phenomenal. And I will, this summer, I, I'm very excited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, very excited. I'm a little worried like, yeah. about it, but yeah. Really? I'm excited to watch it, but I'm a little worried that it's that it might become just one of those movies that's made for Hollywood insiders. Uh, you know? Like, the Coen brothers made a movie that I thought was just... What's the name that... With George Clooney, where it's, like, about actors in old Hollywood. Which, oh, yeah. Uh, Hail Caesar. Yeah. I love Hail Caesar. Yeah, I didn't like yeah. it. Yeah. I could see that that's not your... That's not your kind of... <laughs> I actually really like Hail Caesar. It's campy. But anyway, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, although I'm squarely a Pulp Fiction man, maybe it's just about the weed. And maybe we both agree that it's unfair to, to, uh, <laughs> to pit these two against each other. But like at the end of the day, if I'm going to have to, if you're forced me to rewatch a movie, I'll probably pick Pulp Fiction. Um, it is weird. I, I mean, I, yeah, like I've probably seen Big Lebowski. M- Way more time stoned than not stoned. <laughs> it's a it's a stone like it is a like it's the perfect stoner movie and yeah I could see how if if you're just not, not stoned or you don't get stoned like that does that's just gonna take away from it <laughs> yeah, a little maybe. bit yeah because those scenes those surreal scenes you know the musical numbers I think those are perfect stoner scenes. Um, can I just they really are. quickly, like, especially I, the second one? You know how yeah. how um, the dude is always just inter- integrating what Pierce people have said into his language. Yes, um, I didn't, be, and I've seen Pulp Fiction way more times than I've seen The Big Lebowski. But there is a time I noticed this time where uh, the 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 old the big the actual old man Lebowski says, 
I will not abide by this. Uh, I, I noticed the same thing. <laughs> yeah. The first time on this what? Yes. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, got- that's where the dude abides come from. And for the for once, he changes it. He actually is like, instead of just saying, like, I don't will not abide, he says, nah, the dude abides. Like, he says, I will not abide another toe. Yeah. He says, <laughs> in the limo. I, it's so funny that you bring that up. <laughs> I, I, I noticed that, too, for the first time, because I was, it, it, because that, the dude abides is like, <laughs> yeah. it, it is, it's like the basis of a philosophy that some people live. Yeah. I, I forget what it's called, dudism or something. <laughs> yeah. It's so iconic, and yes, it definitely comes <laughs> yeah. from. But you're right; he changes it. He too. changes it, which is to me that the, if there is any character growth, it is that the dude cared about the rug enough to get pissed off and start this whole thing going. It was a horrible experience, and now he's just like, yeah, the dude can abide." Um, that's how that was. That's what makes me different from the Big Lebowski. That guy cares so much that he's lying to the world for the sake of appearances, and the dude. Should have known fucking better. (laughs) Should have better have known fucking better. better. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I that is that was something so weird struck me, and it's just great because you know that's also what Sam Elliott ends by the dude abides (laughs) exactly. I I don't know about you, but I find comfort in that, and then even that comes from one of the least likable characters (laughs) in the movie. Yeah, he just takes. He just takes what the world gives him, puts it in, and then just it comes out in a different, in some sort of different form. Right. Uh, another scene, if I was doing another scene, the two limo, back-to-back limo scenes. First him talking to the guy who's taking him away from mods. <laughs> yeah, I got a rash. Is that when he's making himself? <laughs> yeah, he's 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 drinking the white Russian in the car, and he's just so chill. It's like everything's going well, and he <laughs> is like, "Yeah, fuck it," you know. Like he's 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 abiding at that moment, <laughs> and then he gets dragged into the other limo where they show him the toe, and then it's the both movies have classic lines. Yeah. Like there's so many funny lines. Just just uh, Walter, like you want a toe, I can get you a toe. Hell, I can get you a toe by three. <laughs> Three o'clock this afternoon. The way that he laughs mockingly at everything that the, the opponents are throwing at him. He's like... Yeah, he's just like, amateur. <laughs> the funny thing is about that one, though, he turns out to be right. Like He's completely right about that. It wasn't Bunny's It toe. wasn't Bunny's toe. And they did like, it was just Amy cut Mann's off somebody. Toe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that Amy Mann? Yeah, because they when, when they're showing her ordering her pancakes... <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I... Yeah, that would say me, man. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't notice that until this watching. I just don't know, really, Amy. I know the name, but I don't know. I couldn't pick her out. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. (laughs) Such a great line. Uh, I just want to also point out that in true Tamler fashion, when we were giving each other lists and we decided on three, I think you snuck in five. (laughs) Yeah, and none of them, like, yours were well thought out. Mine were just, <laughs> I love this, you know. It's a very hard movie to talk about. Yeah. Uh, even though I think it is very thematically rich, both movies. Yeah. Uh, but I think Lebowski is is thematically rich. Here's the last reason I would say Big Lebowski over Pulp Fiction. It is it is my favorite of the Coen Brothers movies, and I love a lot of other ones, but it's my favorite and Pulp Fiction is not my favorite Tarantino movie. Ooh, you, which one is? Jackie Brown, you said? 
I think Jackie Brown, and I think I like Inglorious Bastards better. I think I like Kill Bill Volume One better. Um, that's it. I think I, I think then it would come before any of the other. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite um, Tarantino movie. Um, it's all, it's almost put it in a category on its own, where like I feel it's unfair to compare. But it's just me. Being why? A fan. Why? Why do you? throw shade on jackie brown i don't no i no i didn't i don't think i said anything bad about jackie brown i love jackie no brown. but you know yeah uh, commission by omission <laughs> you never talk about it yeah i haven't ranked mine um i think jackie brown just personally historically was hard for me because i seeing it i had such high expectations after pulp fiction that jackie brown is a movie that it took me a long time time to appreciate um i think it's a great movie uh but but there is something about the like mildly anthology nature of pulp fiction that i dig so much in the way that he plays with time and storytelling and that that it just seems like a different movie to me like any movie that's that's linear and and just a, a, a plot like like i just I it seems like a different beast to me. Like I feel like if I'm going to rate Tarantino pictures, I have to like just set Pulp Fiction aside. And if so, Jackie Brown is up there for me. But so is Reservoir Dogs. Um, yeah, yeah, Reservoir Dogs is great. But it wasn't on your list of top. No, but I I like I it, it's close to Pulp Fiction for me. Yeah, I mean, so Jackie Brown though it does have a kind of cool time thing towards the end. But what. Jackie Brown has is so much heart, you know, like, yeah, in all the I love the, Pam Greer, too. She's so good. And the, and the scenes with her and Robert Forrester. Yeah, he's, he's are great. so sincere. He's, he's so sincere. Yeah, no, but I, when I first saw it, I was the same as you. Like, I, you know, love Pulp Fiction, was so excited and was a little disappointed with Jackie Brown. Yeah. But then I, rewatching it, it is, it's, it's, I, that's why the Tarantino observation, I think, is right. Like, it is something that benefits from rewatching over 10 rewatches or over seven rewatches yeah. or something like nothing gets annoying for me in Jackie Brown. Right. It's um, hard because Pulp Fiction be permeated the culture and influenced other filmmakers in, in such a way that I feel like there's just, it could never have been a cult like sleeper. Uh, you know, it's just like, you're right. Like you hear like, so there've been so many parodies uh, of the conversations between the two hitmen, for instance, that it's just hard for it. It's like that, that it wouldn't get old. Yeah. yeah. What's your, uh, <laughs> I had something, I had something rambling still to ask you, but now I'm forgetting it. I was going to talk about, I don't, I don't think I'm, I've seen all of the Cohen films enough time to be able to speak with any confidence about my ranking of best Cohen films brothers movies um but what are yours is lebowski just solidly number one it's solidly number one and then it's a little harder for me like i first of all i don't like all of them. yeah no like, there are ones weirdly they they're capable of making films that i just would rather not see I, burn it, after reading which some people like i uh, just don't bad. like i gave it another chance I, me too i did the same thing yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, I was right. It's not that good. 
uh, Intolerable Cruelty, which is widely not considered one of their good ones. I also don't like. Oh, I, I don't love uh, Oh Brother, Where Art, Where Art Thou? I was I thought I would hate it, and and I ended up liking it. So that's a, a case where. Yeah, but I I think that it wouldn't make c- close to my top. I think that True Grit, No Country for Old Men. Um, Fargo Fargo for sure Fargo might be my favorite yeah yeah that's probably my second favorite oh yeah I really like a serious man yeah Yeah. a serious man we could do an episode yeah I feel like we could I feel like like this is them them just straight up tackling what I think they were low-key tackling in Lebowski but in a very very different way Um, well it's you you know oh book of Job yeah and a serious man uh, we could good idea put yeah let's do that yeah. like because it is kind of their version yep. of it and we've been wanting to talk about book of job so that would yeah. be yeah. yeah i'm down oh and i like the new one have you seen the new net the one that just was on netflix oh yeah i thought that was yeah, great that was actually great. that that's yeah they did an, uh, essentially an anthology within a, a film and it's i, I really liked it Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah. yeah. Also fun rewatch. It's great. Yeah. All right. So we settled it. <laughs> That's right. It's a tie. <laughs> it is kind of a tie is. in a lot of ways. It almost hurts yeah. me to vote on it. <laughs> Join us next time on Very Bad Wizard. Just a very bad wizard.